What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, March the 1st, 2021. This is episode 54 of the show. However you listen, thank you for doing so many ways to find the podcast. If you are someone who listens audio only, you have Apple Podcasts, you have Spotify, you have SoundCloud, you have InTheMoneyPodcast.com, where you can find this show as well as all the other shows that are created as part of the In The Money Media Network. You can also find great write-ups over there, great blogs, uh, In The Money Plus, a number of things that you can find over on the website, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you're someone who watches on YouTube, all you got to do, search bar, Matt Burney, your show, you get this episode along with the 54 prior. However you listen, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever you feel like. Please just go along because all that kind of stuff helps us out in the long run. Uh, today's show, I'm going to go over the three derby preps from this past week. We'll start with the run down at Gulfstream, the grade two fountain of youth. We will go on to the three-year-old debut of the two-year-old champion, Essential Quality in the Southwest Stakes. And we'll wrap things up with something that I'm sure some folks forgot was actually a points race, uh, the John Pataglia Memorial from Turfway Park last Friday evening. From that, we'll transition into the Friday feature this week. Mark Mahoney was the winner of last Thursday's event, the one that was designated by Dan Illman, uh, the race at Laurel, which was won by Brooks Robinson, which is a, a fun little sort of tie-in. We're talking about a bunch of baseball, and all of a sudden, the baseball name is the one who wins the thing. So Mark Mahoney will come aboard. We're going to talk about the third race from Oaklawn on Friday. It's a little bit of a departure from what I'll typically sort of identify as a race to use for this sort of segment, simply because it's not the highest caliber, $10,000 claimers, not winners of two lifetime, uh, but I think it's a pretty wide open field, and I think it's an interesting handicapping puzzle. So looking forward to hearing what Mark has to say about that, and then we will wrap things up. Quick little comment on Monomoy Girl, and we'll get you out of here in good order, but let's get down to business. Let's start talking about the Kentucky Derby and the prep races that lead into it, and we'll start off with this week's show down at Gulfstream Park with the Grade 2 Fountain of Youth. Grade 2 Fountain of Youth, the road to the Kentucky Derby through Florida continues, specifically Gulfstream Park. Uh, you know, the the big question coming into this spot anyway was simply a matter of who was anyone going to be able to show up and deliver an effort that was comparable to that of what greatest honor is capable of producing. And then if you wanted to take it another step, is greatest honor, or was he going to take a step forward here and improve from the 89 buyer that he earned winning the Holy Bull? We'll let the tape run. Again, you can find this over on Gulfstream Park's YouTube channel. They have all of their races uploaded, stakes, regular races, their pre-race prattle, all that jazz. They break from the gate. You're going to see greatest honor, the number eight. He ends up dropping toward the back of the pack. You have Drain the Clock, who goes out. First time going two turns. He clears off to the front. Things get a little bit tight for a few horses, specifically Fire at Will, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf winner, trying him on dirt. He got in a little bit of a pinch there, forwardly placed. I don't think it made a difference in his result. He didn't do any sort of running whatsoever. Take a look at the fractions of the race. Early portion, 23-3. and three. They go on to the backside, the half, and 47 flat, which is a reasonable pace. It's not blistering, but they're not walking out there. It's an honest enough go of it. You see Tarantino, he's out there 3-4 path in the clear. And meanwhile, between horses, in those sort of teal silks, toward the back of the pack is greatest honor. Now, at this point, you expect him to start warming up, and you're going to note that he'll take up sort of a following position in behind the two horse. That's prime factor for Todd Pletcher and Arad Ortiz. The interesting thing here, as we enter the far turn, keep an eye on the two. He's going to actually look like he's got some run, runs up on heels, has to steady, loses all momentum at this point. Meanwhile, 
as I pause the video, you're going to see greatest honor. Jose's going to start giving him a couple little taps just to sort of encourage him to get going. And the last thing you want to do is have something that just happened to his brother happen, where you get stopped, you lose all that momentum, you have no chance going forward. So he's eventually going to angle him out into the clear. And really, that's the story with this horse. By the way, you see the 10 horse right now, Papatu, who's rolling on the outside in the clear. You're going to see once Greatest Honor gets into the clear, it feels like he turns into a different animal. And he really finds his stride and sort of takes that big, deep breath, gets full of himself and says, all right, now it's time to go. And he puts the boots to this field when it's all said and done. At the top of the lane, drain the clock. It looks like there's a chance that he's going to end up skirting away and getting this thing done in his first time going two turns. Ultimately, the distance proves too tough for him. Meanwhile, greatest honor where it looked like he might finish mid-pack, he's actually geared down for the final 16th of a mile beneath Jose Ortiz, he gets the job done. Another victory. He is now two-thirds of the way to sort of the Gulfstream Park sweep, if you will, en route to the Kentucky Derby. Now, there's a lot to break down here. Let's start off with the nuts and bolts, the speed figures. This was one of those interesting pieces where initially a figure came out, specifically a buyer speed figure, and then it was amended roughly 12 hours later. Uh, the initial reported number was an 83 which would have been a regression from the 89 he earned in the Holy Bull, would have been on par with that N1X race, the N2X, whatever it was, uh, three starts back. Well, next morning on Sunday, it comes out that it's an 89 buyer. Now, I I don't get so... I, I would rather have accurate figures than worry about people making adjustments. I think making adjustments are really what speed figure makers need to do in order to ensure that you have the most accurate piece and the most accurate product that's out there. So for the people that piss and moan about the idea of, well, why'd you even bother releasing the fig? Well, because everybody wants to know what the fig is. And you know what? At first glance, they deemed it, you know what? It's going to be an 83. And you know what? Maybe you go back and you do a little bit more and you say, maybe there's there are some other sort of extenuating circumstances that perhaps led to that. Uh, my favorite thing, and I think it's something that has to be acknowledged. What, this is not an exact science, speed figure making. And I'm not a speed figure maker. I've dabbled with it. I know what goes into it. But to suggest that it is as simple as, and I would like it to be that. I would like it to be a little bit more, the number is the number. But then you do need to take other factors into consideration. And if you had given greatest honor an 83 buyer speed figure... That would have effectively meant that almost the entire top half of the field regressed from their most recent start, with the exception of uh, Herophiles, who earned a 73, and Papatu, who would have moved up a few points from the 72 that he earned in the Holy Bolt. You would have had Drain the Clock drop back dramatically, you would have had Tarantino drop back dramatically, and basically everybody else in the bottom half of the field. So... While the race may not go down in the record books as an all-timer, it seems very unlikely that every one of those horses, or let's say three-quarters of the field, regressed from their most recent start. Seems unlikely. An 89, at least replicating the run that Greatest Honor put forth in the most recent run, that seems plausible. Drain the Clock, who now has an 86 buyer for this effort in the Fountain of Youth, compared to the back-to-back -back 85s he earned two and three starts back, that seems entirely plausible. Papatu, 
who didn't run all that well in the Holy Bowl, but in the run prior to that, I believe that was the Mucho Macho Man, he earned an 87. So the 83 that he has here in this spot, that seems re totally reasonable. And Tarantino, the fourth place finisher, this number now, sort of the, the adjusted number where you've moved him up a couple of points, this gives him an 80, the same number that he earned in that most recent start, the Holy Bowl. So I think the figure is accurate. I, I would rather the speed figure makers go ahead and take the time and say, you know what, hey, Upon further review, it's actually a little bit faster or it's a little bit slower, one way or the other. Uh, Timeform US, I believe the raw number is a 112. So that checks out pretty well with the 89 buyer. Again, if you use that sort of 20-point differential, uh, that would equate to roughly a 92 from greatest honor on the buyer side of things. Now, that's that piece. Okay, that that's all said and done. Now you really get into the fascinating piece of analyzing what to do with greatest honor. Because he has paired up buyer tops of 89, which I've long said I believe is a positive sign that perhaps the next start is when you're going to get a forward move. But the fact of the matter remains, he has not eclipsed a 90 buyer speed figure at this point. Here we are, uh, this is being recorded on March 1st. So let's say at the very tail end of February, beginning of March, this is a horse as a three-year-old who has yet to run a 90 plus buyer. That's a little bit of a concern because it seems like what you've seen down in New Orleans, what we've seen and we'll get to with the run down at Oaklawn, what we've seen from Southern California. It has to be acknowledged that just at this point right now, and I know the Kentucky Derby is not being run today, but right now he's, he is slower than his contemporaries, especially the, the upper echelon of his contemporaries. That doesn't mean that he's not going to improve to a point where he can run fast enough to win. He's the, the kind of horse that it feels like the longer the better for him. But now we dive into actually going over this race a little bit more. How much can you trust a horse who is entirely void of early foot, especially when you compare him to some of the other horses who, let's say, let's say he, he lives in the category of the life is good's the mandaloons, the midnight bourbons, the proxies, you know, the essential qualities, these types. If, if he is going to basically be last of all of those horses, meaning he'll need to pass all of them, that's, that's concern enough by itself. Then you factor in the actual race in the Fountain of Youth where he didn't ever seem comfortable in behind horses. It seemed like Jose Ortiz really needed to get into him to remind him, hey, come on, bud, we got to stay reasonably close or we're going to have no chance. Also pair that with the way this race seemingly was run on paper, just based on the chart. I, I mean, give, give Drain the Clock some credit that he was able to put away the other speeds and still stick around a little bit at the end. But, I mean, this is a race between Greatest Honor and Papatu and Herophiles. They all they came from last second to last and third to last so the race kind of worked out for him from a pace standpoint he didn't seem all that comfortable in behind horses which in all likelihood that's where he'll be the first saturday in may and he hasn't run particularly fast at this point as far as the season is concerned those are a lot of questions or a lot of unknowns potential cons for a horse who's going to be among the favorites for the kentucky derby now, if you want to take a more optimistic viewpoint, this is sort of the, the classic Suge, where it feels like more experience 
And granted, Shugs are typically with the older horses and on grass, but you can see the just need some more time, need some more experience. He's got the pedigree. He has, you know, it looks like he wants to run 15 miles. The fact that he was geared down for the final 100 yards after looking he might finish mid-pack rounding the far turn. You know, these are all positives. The big elephant in the room for me is not just the pieces I laid out that could be viewed as cons, but what does he run against? And that that's going to be, and it always is. That's, that's the thing that makes the, the Kentucky Derby, whether you love it or you hate the race, makes it one of the most fascinating that we have. And you can say the same for the other, you know, events like the Breeders' Cup or whatever it may be. But the Kentucky Derby is going to be the first time for these horses as three-year-olds anyway, not including their two-year-old campaign, that they're you're all going to come together and run as one. You're going to come from Florida. You're going to come from California, New York, Arkansas. And you're going to find out just how good the company that you have been keeping actually is. Now, his greatest honor going to be the kind of horse who he's just that much better than everyone else and he proves it in time. Or are we going to look back and say, well, he beat Drain the Clock, who was a stretch out sprinter. And I believe Safi Joseph is quoted as even saying he ran a great race and he just couldn't see out the distance. And I agree with him. I think Drain the Clock is a really talented horse. I think jo- Safi's done a good job with him. He's got to turn it back to one turn and it sounds like that's going to be the plan. Well, he beat Papa Two. Papa Two was 18 to one. His best races have come when he's finished you know, sort of minor awards in these lower stakes races. Tarantino, who is, I'm not going to call him a Baffert outcast, but I, I said it going over the Holy Bull. I mean, Baffert had him running on grass. What does that tell you? Herophiles was literally 100 to 1, 106 to be exact. King's ovation to this point. I mean, there's a reason he was 38 to 1 in this race. Prime factor, I still believe there's talent there, but at the same time, I can't sit here with a straight face and say that he's, you know, some superstar. I think he had trouble here and you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but but point is, he, he hasn't proven anything really at this point. Fire at will is a grass horse. And then you got a 130 to one shot and a 76 to one shot. So what has Greatest Honor really been running against? Go back to the Holy Bull. Can say all these same things. So when it the the option or the possibility of him running in the Florida Derby and running the table as far as the Gulfstream Park road to Louisville is concerned, that's all well and good. Not that Shug McGahee cares what I think, but this is a fun little podcast. I wouldn't run Greatest Honor again before the Kentucky Derby. I don't think he had, there's a great deal for him to gain and I think he can only be exposed. Now, if you want to say he needs more seasoning, he needs that more experience, you know, getting more kickback, maybe he ends up running against some better horses, you know, all those sort of things will benefit him that first Saturday in May. So be it. I'm not really going to argue that. But if I'm this camp and, and these connections, I've got the points. I have a horse who it seems like distance is only going to be his friend. And in reality, outside of it being in grade one and outside of it being, I don't know if it's $750,000 or 500000 or a million, I don't know what the purse is for the Florida Derby. But outside of that, 
what does he really have to gain? In my opinion, he's got very little to gain. He has a great deal to lose, though. If we find out that, you know what, maybe he was just running up against inferior company all along, and now when he has someone else, and who knows, maybe there is no one else for all I know, but if all of a sudden there are other horses that are thrown in to that Florida Derby, and maybe they either can see out the distance a little bit better than these horses he's run against, or just purely from a talent standpoint, they're better than what he's been running against. And he ends up running in sort of, let's say, uh, a plotting a long third. Well, what is that? Doesn't that sort of take a little bit of the, the steam out of him, a little bit of the wind out of your sails? And you say, boy, it's only going to get more difficult when we get to Louisville. Because you're going to add in the California horses, the Arkansas horses, the New York horses, anybody else I may be missing. And we're going to have to come from at least mid-pack, if not farther. And he may or may not like kickback. I mean, these are a lot of things that, you know what, I I, I don't want to say that I would want to go into it being sort of, you know, head in the clouds, just, ah, you know what, out of sight, out of mind, we'll deal with it then, but I kind of would. At this point, I would say we've got our points, we've got enough of a foundation. The mile and a quarter shouldn't be the thing that gets this horse beat, even if they trained him up to it. It'll be a matter of, is he good enough, and... If you do have, and if you do prescribe or believe in the idea that pairing up career best speed figures is a precursor of a forward move, well, I would sure as hell rather have that forward move come in the floor in the Kentucky Derby as opposed to the Florida Derby. That's just my opinion. I'm having a very difficult time deciding what I think of this horse. Because when he gets going, he looks great. But I don't know that he's beaten anything that would remotely constitute a Kentucky Derby contender. And I don't know that his running style is going to be conducive to success, barring a complete pace collapse, which since the point system has been implemented, that doesn't happen. I've gone through and and we've, we've graded out these Derby preps. And with that Holy Bull... I awarded it a six because I said, I don't really know what what to do with it. Now, here we are. You have effectively a a similar outcome. It's either continuing to bolster the argument that greatest honor is the bee's knees. Or it continues to raise questions about what is he facing and what happens when the water gets deeper. I gave the Holy Bull a six. I'm going to give the Fountain of Youth a six. Because he looked good once he got clear and finished. And that's going to only work to his advantage as the distance gets longer. Problem is, can you A, get clear, B, can you get the setup that you need, and C, can you prove that you can handle better company? Greatest honor, 89 buyer speed figure winning the Fountain of Youth. Sounds like the Connections will have a decision to make. Do you run him back in the Florida Derby, or do you just wait and say, you know what, let's wrap him up and bubble wrap and make sure that we get to the first Saturday in May because our ticket is already punched? That would be my call, but hey, guess what? I don't have any say in the matter. We'll find out what they choose to do. Greatest honor, 89 buyer, winning the Fountain of Youth. Southwest from Oak Lawn Park, the return of the two-year-old champion, essential quality. It, it feels like it's been 15 years 
that this race is supposed to have gone off. And unfortunately, that terrible run of weather down in the south really threw a monkey wrench into things. The race is finally run here, albeit delayed and throwing the sort of Arkansas path to Louisville up in the air a bit because we're going to have a really quick turnaround of the Rebel, how many horses end up showing up there, and then certainly you can take a look at the Arkansas Derby and see if the timing of this race affects who may or may not go in that spot. First things first, though, there's always, in my opinion, there's always an unknown with really good juveniles coming back as three-year-olds. Some of them train on, continue to progress, improve. Some of them are just that precocious type, and I use the the Little League analogy. You've got that 10-year-old or 11-year-old who's 6 feet tall and at the time throws 65 miles an hour, and he looks like Randy Johnson out there compared to everybody else. Problem is, that's as big and strong as that kid gets, and then as time goes on, and all of his friends and everybody else that plays against him continues to grow and gets bigger and stronger, they kind of leave him in the dust. We've seen that happen before with the two-year-olds who are superior to their contemporaries. And then as three-year-olds, everybody else starts to sort of narrow that gap. It's probably the easiest way to put it. But you do have the real quality, good ones, who are good all along. And essential quality really starts to to fit that mold. We'll take them as they break from the gate. You're going to note Spielberg with just a disastrous start from the outside. He's going to end up basically banging off the side of the gate nearly falls down as he goes out to the right, sets him behind the eight ball. He runs a remarkable race. We'll get to him in a little bit, though. Jackie's Warrior is the one who is able to get out there and set the pace, and he does so for a horse of his talent level with relative ease. Now, before we go too far down this road, I'm going to rewind the tape a little bit. Take a look at the ride from Luis Saez on Essential Quality. Breaking from the rail, you can see there's basically a moat down there. He quickly gets this horse angled outside, and it's a bit of a precarious position because you never know if you're going to run up on heels or whatever the case may be. He finds this seam, and before you know it, he is 3-4 path in the clear throughout, just loving life. It's a beautiful job by Saez to find the way to get this horse out of harm's way so there are no issues. Trip will not be the excuse if Essential Quality doesn't pick his feet up in this spot. Meanwhile, Jackie's Warrior is on the lead, and for all intents and purposes, a pretty comfortable lead. 23-2 and two for the opening quarter, but you take a look at the half, they back it down into the 48 range, and for a horse of this caliber, if you think he can get the distance, he should go on with it. But that's always been the unknown with Jackie's Warrior. How far does he actually want to go? Meanwhile, here's the two-year-old champion. He's starting to warm up here on the outside, and I just love the way that he just sort of eases his way into the run. Louis doesn't have to ask him a great deal just sort of sidles up, 3-4 path right now. And, and Luis Saez can basically say, whenever he wants, he can go and take this thing over. You see Jackie's Warriors starting to kind of spin his wheels a little bit. Woodhouse between runners, really not doing him enough. The big thing is you see Spielberg all of a sudden. After that disastrous start, he pokes a head out there saying, hey, maybe I got a shot. Well, when the real running begins, Luis Saez asks the central quality and the champion responds in a major, major way. Look at the way that he levels off and just continues on. Runs right through the wire. Massive gallop out. You're not going to see it in this replay. Wins his seasonal debut by more than four lengths. Spielberg runs second. Jackie's Warrior runs third to round out your trifecta. Now, there's so much to like, in my opinion anyway, about this performance from Essential Quality. Let's start off with the speed figure. 
He earns a 96 buyer, which is the career best thus far through four lifetime starts. He earned a 95 winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last fall at Keeneland. This is his first start in a few months. This is his first start over a sloppy sealed track. This is his first start outside the state of Kentucky, the Commonwealth of Kentucky. There were a number of things, and this isn't even including the sort of monkey wrenches being thrown into timing and scheduling of when he was supposed to come back. There were a number of firsts that this horse was going to need to encounter, and it was his first start as a three-year-old. And for him to breeze through this, and I'm using the, the, the word breeze quite literally, this looked like a glorified workout in my opinion. I like that he's got the agility to be able to listen to his rider's commands, to be able to split horses the way that he did early on. Again, coming off the bench, there was no guarantee. Could have been a little bit rusty. Maybe he needed one to kind of just shake the rust off. Wasn't the case. Comes right to hand, listens to Luis Saez. He's able to guide him out into the clear. It's a beautiful ride from Saez. And at that point, who cares how much ground you're carrying? You don't have a straw in your path. It's a matter of, is Jackie's warrior going to feel the effects of the distance? Which I believe he did, and it sounds like he will be sort of pointing toward shorter races. So, effectively, take him off the derby trail. And would anybody else be able to, to show up with some sort of an effort? Now, credit to Spielberg. This is a hell of a race from him because he's never done anything really, to my opinion, that, that is comparable to this. This is the best race he's ever run by far. Now, I'm also not a, I'm not a big fan of Spielberg's. I, I, I just don't, I don't think there's a great deal there. But maybe he's just that rare Baffert type that actually needs a ton of racing before he continues to improve. We'll find out in time. But the the point is, you would have needed someone like Spielberg to show up with something that he has never produced before if Jackie's Warrior packed it in and essential quality didn't basically run his race. And that's exactly what happened. He ran his race and he wins this thing for fun. When you look at the way the race played out, that's the part that I get most excited about when you look at a horse like this. Because now you know that the surface isn't going to matter to him. Sloppy sealed, fast, doesn't matter. You know that he is agile enough to get himself out of what could potentially be a bit of a pickle. Breaking down from the rail, who knows what kind of trip you work out from down there. He's able to find that hole, use that sort of agility to get through it, procure a much better position. That's another sort of positive, another check mark in the, in the pro box. And you take a look and see the come home times of this race. Now, Spielberg, again, he did deliver a pretty solid effort, all things considered. And the way that he finished was, was pretty impressive. He, he came home in 32.24. You compare that to the next fastest behind him that came from Jackie's Warrior, 33-1. and one. So a full second faster, about five lengths. Good. But then when you take a look at essential quality, Comes home in 31.86. Roughly two lengths faster in that final piece, and he's already got a tremendous jump on Spielberg. Now, maybe Spielberg would have been closer had he not had that just awful, awful start. Wouldn't have made a difference. I think Bob Baffert's even on record saying that. He goes, nobody was going to beat the winner that day. But the point is, for the first start of a campaign in which this was certainly not the goal, this is basically spring training for a horse like Essential Quality. To earn the figure that he did in 96, which already puts him among the fastest three-year-olds right now 
far as the boys are concerned. For him to do it at a new track, with new conditions to deal with, and against talented horses. Again, I don't love Spielberg, but he he's not a he's not a complete tomato can. And Jackie's Warrior, I think the, the talent is still there. The question was always going to be, was he the precocious two-year-old? And more importantly, how would he fare as the distances got longer? Now, of the two that we've already touched on, essential quality and greatest honor, I'm going to look at the Southwest as a whole and give it an eight for my little prep ratings. And it has very little to do with the field. It has much more to do with the horse. Because I think essential quality... I, I Look, I thought he was a good two-year-old. I thought he was a very good two-year-old. But I was never... I never watched any of his races and thought, Phew, this could be... This could be a... I don't. I don't want to. I don't like it when we get too too crazy with sort of throwing out hyperbolic things. But I mean, this could be a superstar. He's done nothing wrong in four lifetime starts. He's won from six furlongs to a mile and a sixteenth. Yes, he needs to show that he can stretch out successfully. But when you take a look at the gallop out, if you can find that tape somewhere, I mean, it looked like he could have gone around again. And for this to be the starting off point, I think you've got a serious racehorse here. And when I compare it to greatest honor it's not that i dislike greatest honor it's that he's got a hell of a lot more to answer as far as questions are concerned than essential quality does essential quality has already beaten the best of the best when he was a two-year-old and yes maybe this wasn't a stellar lineup here but there was there was some decent talent listed up here he's proven now that he can handle a different racing surface he's proven that he can overcome a little bit of adversity. He, he's agile enough to get the jump on horses like Greatest Honor. So is it is it possible that Greatest Honor could run by essential quality in the Kentucky Derby? Of course it is. Anything is possible. Do I want to bet on it? Especially if they're going to be within a few points of one another? I just, I have a difficult time convincing myself that if you had those two in any sort of a race, that essential quality is not going to win. At this juncture right now, we still have two months, which is wild to think about. We've got eight weeks till the first Saturday in May. Assuming essential quality's next race, whether it's the Arkansas Derby or the Bluegrass, I feel like the Bluegrass makes some sense with his track record at Keeneland. But if they wanted to give him that extra week to run in the Arkansas Derby, so be it. One of those two spots, I assume, would be where he would wind up. Unless he just completely drops anchor, which why would I? I have no reason to believe that is something unforeseen. I have no reason to believe that's going to be the case. I just, of the two that we've talked about thus far on today's show, I, I have a difficult time envisioning a scenario where essential quality does not finish ahead of a horse like Greatest Honor, unless he got into some sort of a duel, it took the starch out of him, and Greatest Honor came and picked up pieces. But Essential Quality is always going to have the jump. He has run faster than him on multiple occasions, and he's proven himself over multiple surfaces and multiple tracks. I think Essential Quality is the goods. I give this prep rating an 8, and it is almost entirely based on the racehorse. If I wanted to be very, very bullish, I could have given it a 9. Um, I... I was reluctant to just fully buy into essential quality. I'm starting to I'm starting to buy in hook, line, and sinker. I think this is a very talented racehorse. Um, and and Godolphin, the, 
I, I think everyone who is associated with Godolphin has reason to be very excited. Not only do they have a number of, of talented charges, three-year-olds, older horses, I think this one is at the top of the list. I think essential quality, if you're involved with this horse, you got you to gotta be getting a little, you get the shakes a little bit. You're a little bit nervous because you might have something here. Essential quality, 96 buyer winning the Southwest. We'll find out if this is the beginning of bigger and better for him as a three-year-old. Hush of a Storm gets the job done in the John Battaglia Memorial. Now, this is a points race toward the Kentucky Derby. So while it's happening at Turfway, I'm just going to let the tape run because I, I don't know how how much significance this race is going to have as far as the first Saturday in May is concerned. But there are points awarded, so let's take a look at it. Um, you know, this Hush of a Storm is a pretty nice little horse, I think, for Billy Morey. And the interesting thing is, it feels like distance is only going to be his friend, but at the same time, you saw him kind of get a little bit goofy with his leads, or we'll see it anyway as they get to the top of the lane and down the stretch, but he's done nothing wrong since they've gotten him out to two turns. He's also done nothing wrong since they moved him over to the synthetic. Uh, out on the front, you see Gretzky the Great. He was bet down to odds on, or even money, I should say, and you know, a fine effort, I think, all things considered. First start off a lengthy layoff. I haven't seen him since the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf from Mark Cassie and company. But I, I don't really look at this horse as a dirt horse. I don't look at many of these horses as dirt horses. I think this could end up being an interesting race going forward, not just for the Jeff Ruby Stakes, which is going to be a whopper. That's a 100-point prep. So th- whoever wins and whoever runs second in that race, they'll have the option anyway to run in the Kentucky Derby. So maybe those fields end up becoming a little bit more diverse. But I, I think you see the number eight horse right now. That is Hush of a Storm making his move. I think this is a race, or these two races specifically, could have some ramifications on big turf horses going forward. So maybe you get some some chances that the connections look at it and say, you know what, we want to at least find out if our horse can run on dirt. Let's go through the synthetic route. Let's go through turfway. If we get the points needed to go to the Kentucky Derby, we will run. Worst case scenario, the horse doesn't take to the dirt. We go right back to the turf. Uh, best case scenario, we have Animal Kingdom. And I'm being, you know, I'm exaggerating that saying we have Animal Kingdom because Animal Kingdom was a horse of the year type of horse. So talent wise. So I don't know that this is going to be, you know, the path that leads to the most likely winner the first Saturday in May. But I do think you're probably going to get some decent horses that go through here, specifically for the money and specifically for the points and the option or the opportunity to run in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, This also ended up being a, a reasonably fast race. Now, again, with a grain of salt, I'm not comparing this to the essential qualities, uh, the greatest honors, the the life is goods, who we'll see coming up in the San Felipe this coming Saturday. By the way, you can watch us, uh, ABR, if we're doing a little uh, show live stream during the card at Santa Anita on Saturday afternoon. You can join us there. Uh, Hush of a Storm earned an 86 buyer in this race. And again, it's not going to light the world on fire, but it's also uh, far from a an embarrassing kind of fig that you wouldn't even consider that next step going forward. I think this is a good little horse. Um, I don't know that he's a derby type. I don't know that any of these horses are derby types. Um, the only thing I'd throw out there, if you are just purely, we're talking about it from a handicapping standpoint, uh, I'm going through and looking at the top, the top nine of the 11 finishers. They all earned faster figs in this race than they had in their race prior. Now, that's both on the buyer scale and, for the most part, on the time form scale. 
I am always leery about that sort of scenario. How likely is it that one given race, that many horses improved? Possible, not incredibly likely. So that would be the only sort of thing that I would throw out there that perhaps the numbers are a little high. If you're thinking about that, come Jeff Ruby Stakes time. But if you just want to believe the buyer and just sit there and say, or believe the time form US rating and say, look, these are these are good horses and we'll we'll find out, you know, where things sort of where the where the chips fall, um, that's fine. I think this is a good effort. I think you've got a couple of nice horses uh, going forward. If you're looking for a trip kind of a horse, hard ride guy, looked like he had some momentum down on the inside. He got shut off uh, at the very end, was able to angle out, but at that point, the damage was done. Maybe he's one you want to keep an eye on going forward for the Jeff Ruby Stakes should he go there. But this, as a whole, not really sure this is going to be a race or a, a sort of path to Louisville that has dramatic impact on the first Saturday in May, but it has happened in the past, and who knows? Maybe it'll happen again. I'm not banking on it. From a prep rating, I'm going to give this a 2. I just don't think that this, right now anyway, I have no reason to believe this is going to have a major sort of impact or there are going to be major implications on the way the Kentucky Derby is run. So, therefore, uh, the John Battaglia Memorial, some nice horses. I think many of them will do their best on grass. From a Kentucky Derby standpoint, we will award this a prep rating of 2. Let me know your thoughts on the three Derby preps beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. In the meantime, let's pivot over to the Friday feature. We're going to bring in Mark Mahoney. He was the winner of the Thursday feature last week. We're going to talk about a race from Oaklawn Park on their card on Friday. Here we go. Let's take a look at that Friday feature. Friday feature time, back in the normal day, normal slot anyway. We had a quick week where it was a Thursday feature. It's back to the Friday feature. Mark Mahoney joining us to help us hopefully dissect what I think is a pretty competitive race, the third at Oaklawn on Friday. First things first, thanks for coming back aboard. This is a returning effort for you. And I thought it was, it just made me laugh when I went through and saw after Illman and I are just BSing back and forth about baseball, that Brooks Robinson is the horse who ends up winning this whole thing. How did you land on the horse? That's fitting. Uh, just kind of going through, it was more of the other horses were not doing much for me to begin with going, uh, as I was starting to break through just basically and looking at that trainer, the way he was clicking at a good percentage and the other ones just favorites to me on a Thursday and Laurel afternoon, not, not kind of the favorites I'm getting excited about. So if there's a price somewhere where I can make somewhat of an argument for you can take a stab at it. And I know at least one other person had the runner-up in the exacta, and that was a pretty healthy exacta with those two horses. I believe you were both close to 10 to 1. So uh, good on you guys, the, the the folks who got involved and actually submitted some selections. Uh, before we get into this race itself, and, and I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot. I didn't really prep you for this, but um, just your overall thoughts so far on the three-year-olds. I know you, you pay attention to the racing on a weekly basis, and uh, we've seen enough, I think, at this point. We've only got eight weeks until the Kentucky Derby. This this field is starting to come together. We'll see it even more so this coming weekend with some of the 50-point preps and obviously the 100-pointers still to come. But overall thoughts so far in the three-year-old crop? A little top-heavy, <laughs> uh, especially after how great his honor kind of cleaned up right there on uh, Saturday. So it seems like the favorites are kind of a little too chalky for me right now. I'm hoping someone kind of steps up, but the interesting kind of preps are the ones coming up, I think, with the Gotham. You have a chance to get in someone who can maybe inject some speed into it, a little front-end speed that'll 
make, make the Derby a little more creative from a pace standpoint and Turfway, I think it's the Jeff Ruby stakes is a hundred points this year. So that's going to be a kind of a screwball one to kind of get in there. But right now it's, it's very top heavy. I know you were saying you like Mandaloon. I, I agree with that. Greatest honor looks good. The Baffords still have to kind of shake themselves out. So I don't know which way I'm going to go with that yet, but it's, it just seems a little top heavy. So I'm hoping to get kind of like a new shooter here with the next kind of, as we go through the rest of the 50 pointers and start heading to the big preps. I agree with you from a pace standpoint too, because it just, it's, it's been, I don't know if it was an intended sort of piece of the point system once it was implemented, but it's just how it's worked out that you don't have the crazy runoff speeds that are going to be distance challenged. And, and even if you wanted to use a horse who by no means is a speed ball, but a horse like drain the clock, the connections have already sort of alluded to the fact that, look, we tried two turns. We don't think it really worked. We're going to turn them back in distance. So if it's not, and I hate to just default to Baffert and the West Coast horses where they are, that's their game at speed. If it's not one of them right now, it doesn't look like you have any tremendous sort of speed influence, which could compromise some of those horses who want to rally from a little bit farther off of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's my fears. It's going to be one of those Bafferts up there, just kind of making a click off like 47. That's, that's They're going to clean up, I think, and it's just not going to be that great. You're sitting in that pocket or even lead with those small fractions and just uh, doesn't interest me that much. So I'm hoping we get something that'll kind of kind of make it interesting from a pace perspective. But I think the point system has done a good job at identifying the best horses. I don't know that it has necessarily lent itself to the most, I don't want to say exciting race, but it, it, it has certainly limited the variables that I think went into making the Derby that sort of once a year opportunity to possibly just hit an absolute grand slam. If you're going to play something like the super factor or whatever it may be, where you get some kind of crazy results. But, and having said that, I'm sure this year it'll end up being a 30 to one over a 40 oh, yeah. to one and something. Yeah, we, we, we've already drinks it. I'm aware of my Let's talk about this third race at Oaklawn. Again, it's not, I, I typically try to look for kind of a combination of what could arguably be sort of a borderline stake, some sort of a high level allowance race, but also having something that should be a good betting opportunity. Class wise, this is the opposite of that. This is going to be a non-winners of two lifetime going five and a half furlongs down at Oaklawn on Friday afternoon. But I do think from a betting standpoint, at least my opinion, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, you have enough horses that are doing different things, whether they're stepping up out of the maiden ranks, whether they're turning back or they're coming off of a lengthy layoff, whatever the case may be and many of them all want to go to the front or be forwardly placed, I do think it at least lends itself to a little bit of chaos, which I'm hopeful makes for a good contest race. What were your initial thoughts when you looked at it? One of the things that I kind of do like about these lower claimers is, and I'm a guy who relies on pace a lot for handicapping, a lot of times when you're down this low, you can kind of throw out some of what you expect the pace to be with just these horses can't pass horses. If you're, uh, if you're in this rank, you're not someone who's going to move pass unless there's a complete train wreck on the front end so it's interesting from a pace play where it kind of takes out how i would normally approach a race but you kind of look you can look through the way you were saying how they're coming from different areas and try and try and catch something where maybe maybe you can see something that other people can't that where the favor will get hit and you can kind of backdoor your way into something factor your way into a bit of a price that being said i didn't find uh, the kind of price I was hoping to find in this race, but I, I ended up not going with the favorite, so I, I guess that's something. <laughs> I think if we start from 
if you use something like Timeform US and you take a look at sort of the your your standbys from a claiming standpoint with the trainers and connections and things like that, I think you probably start with the number two Flatoya who goes out for Diodoro's barn, going to get some class relief. Second time going out with Blinkers, Timeform US thinks this horse is going to be outright on the lead. I wasn't so convinced that this one would clear off to the front, but at the same time, if you do use that run two back at Delta Downs, just strictly from a pace figure standpoint, this one probably does have the best early foot. Um, is this, I, I suppose we can look at it two ways. Is this where you landed? And if not, what was it that detracted you from this one? It was not where I landed. It's where I initially thought I was going to land the first time through. And I was like, oh, okay, she just looks far and away better than uh, just the blank way. The way I go through it is I kind of look just a quick synopsis pace and every horse giving a quick look, which ones are even worth diving in better, especially in these lower allowance ones. Some of these are just, it's a moose in the gate. So it's, I can immediately take certain numbers out and be like, I'm, I'm not going in for you. So if, if you beat me, okay, you're going to beat me at 35 to one illogically and Okay, I'll take that lump. But yeah, going back to the Delta race, it's, Delta is tough with that bull ring and the, the form out of there. I have such a hard time looking at it sometimes where I'll fade a horse out of there. I remember, God, maybe it was a year, year and a half, two years ago, Masito Rojo when he was coming out of there. And I was against him initially when he came out. And he beat me up a couple times and then I kind of got on the bandwagon when he jumped up in class and he beat me up then. So. Some of these Delta ones, I just, I have a tough time reading when they come out of the, the, the bull rings and it wasn't that inspiring now. The, the, his numbers are for a favorite, great. But when you're, when I was looking at these claimers, I mean, it looks good on paper, but not enough where I'm like, okay, I'm willing to go in at that's five, two in the morning line, go off at two to one, nine to five. Didn't really interest me at that point. Yeah. And, and I think that's the biggest thing for me, especially you talked about it where you know, if an illogical horse or a horse that I can't make a case for at 40 to 1 wins, so be it. And at the same time, if there's a horse like this who I don't think has a discernible edge on anyone in this field, and just because of the connections alone is going to get bet, that's another one of those where I say, you know what, if you win, you win. It's not the end of the world. I at least want to try to find something that's a little bit more... I'm not saying you're going to find a 15 to one shot, but I want to find something that I think I'm going to get at least get a, a fair enough price on. And I just feel like based on the Diodoro piece, this filly is just going to be overbetting here. So outside of her, if we recognize that she's not the direction you chose to go, is it a matter of someone else who's going to be forwardly placed that you kind of landed on? Or was there somebody that you thought you'd get a little bit kind of creative with? It was kind of a connection angle. Um, so I ended up on the five and, uh, for uh, Carl Broberg, mm -hmm. and I went with him. He first off the claim, so we you know Broberg's good at that. He claimed him that end zone athletics. I looked at real quick. That's him. That's his little thing that I didn't know right away. So I learned that. So he's claiming him for himself essentially. Uh, big thing too is that um, I thought the, the last race uh, solid, not great, but solid. Uh, the one that beat it is a. Uh, French, French Charm was the name. Mm -hmm. The race is on Thursday, actually, race six at Oaklawn. So take a look at that to see how he does in that race. And I thought it was interesting, the, the horse that beat him, that French Charm, it was the first time ever on dirt when he went down to Oaklawn. He raced up at Woodbine his whole career. So with what's going on up there, maybe they brought him down here, first time on dirt. He put up the best number last race. So uh, just interesting the most. Broberg claiming for himself, first off to claim, just beat by a horse that, put up its best number. He put up a solid number and the, the other ones, but didn't really do much for me. I was looking at the three, uh, 
Wiggins, a trainer though, has been not thrown out much live, not much at all in terms of volume. And what he has been out there has not been good this year. And the one just looked up was the other one I briefly entertained, but on paper just didn't, didn't do much for me. If that's three to one and I can maybe, even if, even if uh Broberg's horse goes off a little better, I, I could see seven to two, three to one. If I, Theodora gets bet and I'll, I'll be happy with that. I can, my horse, I think, has a chance of putting up another solid number, and I'll take that all day. I, th- I think that's another angle, too. Despite the fact that the Broberg barn right now is a little bit on the chilly side, uh, at this point, 3% for the Oaklawn meat, overall, you know what Broberg typically strikes at. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the horses aren't running at all. He's got nine second or third yeah. place finishes. So that's a little bit of unluck. I also think there's an element of just sort of like a handicapping standby. This is a top-level claiming trainer Claiming from a barn who I don't know a tremendous deal about the barn that this one came from, but low percentage. And I think it's one thing if you go claiming from a high percentage barn, it's going to be very difficult to see any, I don't want to see, say totally, you know, it's impossible to make any sort of headway. But I do think it's one of those things where if you take from a low percentage barn and you come into a higher percentage barn for a trainer who does specifically well with the first off the claimers, Mm -hmm. I think there is typically something there. I also can't help but notice he immediately makes an equipment change where the blinkers go on. So that'll be something to me. I kind of lean your way here with a horse like this who has figs that are every bit as fast, if not faster than some of the other horses in here. Maybe the form recently isn't amazing, but it's not terrible. It's far from embarrassing. And if you think that the new connections can get her to wake up a little bit and just improve her incrementally, it doesn't even need to be five, 10 lengths. She moves up a few points here or there. She's certainly in with the chance. And to your point with Diodoro's barn in here, I can't help but think Ms. Falsetto falls into that sort of three to one, seven to two range, which I agree with you for this level, given the way this race looks on paper, she has, albeit only a half length off. She has passed horses. She did so in the career debut, I, I totally understand the logic for a horse like Ms. Falsetto, the number five in here that is in the third at Oaklawn on Friday. That's going to be the Friday feature. Was there anyone else in this race that did anything for you, or is it as simple as stick to the five? It was as simple as stick to the five, and if I'm doing multis, maybe single there and, and try and I look for fun at a couple other races nearby. It's not a great early sequence I think I would play. It's an it's somewhat interesting maiden special after that, so maybe do a daily double where I focus just on um, Ms. Falsetto in the first leg, but the the other ones didn't really do much for me. I think that the, the prices will be there, but just between uh, the layoffs and just, just the form at some of those, I ended up pretty much just on Ms. Falsetto and <laughs> going to ride with her and, and hopefully uh, hit on her and see if I can string her with something there and get a little bit of a payday. You heard him, Mark Mahoney. He's going to go with the number five, Ms. Falsetto, in the third at Oak Lawn on Friday. It's the Friday feature. If you want to be in Mark's position next week, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player. If you're right, I'll contact you. We'll make something happen. Mark, thank you so much for the time. Well done last week, and hopefully we have some more good luck this week. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Thank you, and uh, good luck, everybody watching. Hopefully uh, someone else is up here making a score next week. (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks, Mark. Have a good one. Thanks to Mark Mahoney for helping us out with the Friday feature. Again, if you want to be in Mark's position next Monday, all you need to do, leave your selection for Oakland's third beneath the video player on YouTube. If you're right, I'll contact you. We'll set up a time to record. A couple of housekeeping things before I, I leave you with my little monomoy girl thought. Uh, Saturday, 
The San Felipe will be run out at Santa Anita. I will be involved with the ABR folks doing a little bit of a live stream. You can find that over on Twitter and on YouTube. Looking forward to that. Many other big races going on. I'm sure we'll cover at least one of them uh, on Big Cap Day out at Santa Anita. We also... uh, Something else, the $500 challenge, something that I've, I've been doing for quite some time. That's going to be on hiatus, and it's not because the money has gone dry. It's because I am no longer doing work with racing picks. So in the meantime, until my other piece gets buttoned up here, um, the $500 challenge will be off the table. That may come back at some point, but for right now, until I button up this other piece, uh, we are all done with the $500 challenge. Now, I'll leave you with this, and we'll make it quick, with Monomoy Girl. For her to return the way that she did, look no worse for the wear. She's been gone for a little while, but basically just a quick little vacation. For her to come back and win the way that she did in the Bayacoa, it just sort of re... It just continues to sort of solidify my thoughts about her. And that I, I get it. You are much, much better than your contemporaries. You're already a Hall of Famer first ballot. You're already one of the best mares that we've seen in some time. She does belong in that category of the Rachels, the Zenyatas, the Beholders, the whomever. Whoever you want to put in there. She has an opportunity, though, to take it that next level and really stamp herself as an all-timer. But I think she's got to do it against the boys. There's not a race against the females that is going to make me think any differently of her. Win or lose. A win against boys, though. And again, from a timing standpoint, I recognize maybe it is as simple as we get this race under our belt in the Bayakoa. She only earned a 96 buyer, but I don't really care what the figure is. She looks just as good as she ever has. You probably go on to the Apple Blossom. Makes sense, timing. But boy, after that, I really hope the connections take a long, hard look at the Met Mile or something along those lines. A one-turn mile hits her right between the eyes. Could you imagine a matchup with her and Charlatan? And, and Nick's go and whomever else shows up in a spot like that. It would just be such a phenomenal race. And I'm hopeful we're going to see it at some point here. Connections are going to do right by her, no question about it. If she's up for it, they'll consider it, I'm sure. If she's not, they won't. But she's already a Hall of Famer first ballot. I Boy, I want to see her run against the boys at some point. And that's it. That's all I have to say for episode 55 of the Matt Bernier Show. I thank you all for listening. However you listen to this thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. I'll be back next week with episode 56. In the meantime, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.